0: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode the 44th of Tamper Tantrum. My name is Colin Harmon and I'm joined from across the waves, both sound and sea, by um, the wonderful Mr. Nick Cho. How are you, Nick?
1: I'm okay. It's rainy here in San Francisco. It's raining in California, which is no, no, wonderful no, no no, news. no, 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 no. It doesn't. It doesn't rain in California. It's wonderful news. We're very happy. No one knows what to do. <laughs> I, I no, I'm. I'll tell you a story. Last night, I went to the auto um, parts store to get new windshield wipers for our car because it had been some time and they were kind of worn and making a lot of noise. And I got there; they were sold out. <laughs> And um, the trash can, the garbage can, the rubbish bin, I mean, you got to use all the terms, uh, that was in the parking lot was full of <laughs> wiper blade packaging, completely full. And they said they'd emptied it twice earlier in that day. So that's the people, kind of time it's been. Have you got people like in fear of their lives to leave their house without an umbrella? Or like is there general hysteria? There's a little bit of that. Mostly right now, people are very poor drivers, but... Um, it's like that. If it snowed here, it would be the same thing. It kind of gets like that in
0: Dublin when it snows. Like, if there is, like, three-quarters of an inch of snow, the city just shuts down. It's, it's embarrassing. But, like, we're, we're, we're very accustomed to rain in the sense that you can tell who, who isn't from Ireland when you're in Ireland because they're the people that are holding umbrellas.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, what's wrong with an umbrella? I don't know. I
0: think it's because it's a weird one. I think it's, like, if you, brought, if you decided one day to bring an umbrella... You, what you're doing is that you're making the decision to bring an umbrella with you every day of your life. Does that oh. make sense? Like, so it's, you, you wouldn't just bring it one day and then not bring it another day, because, like, it's Ireland. I, it pretty much rains uh, every day.
1: So, so it's, it's not a masculinity thing. Not at all. Because I, I've, I've seen, you know, I think it was one of the last times I was in London. I was hanging out with James Hoffman, and it was snowing a little bit, and it was very cold, and he was standing outside in a T-shirt. And I said, what's with the t-shirt? Because he was shivering. And he said, <laughs> well, it's a thing here. Culturally, young, if you're a young man or a youngish man, you don't wear a coat in the wintertime or else it makes you look weak. And I, it's just one of those things. I just laughed because I was wearing a heavy coat. Yeah. But it also, it also makes, makes sense. sense. Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's yeah, because they are a little different. I remember going to Liverpool once
0: uh, with a bunch of friends when I was younger and going to a nightclub and being like, where's the cloakroom? And they're like... Why would there be a cloakroom? And we're like, well, so you can put your jacket in. We are the only people that had jackets, so I think the British are just weird in that way with themselves. So, um, I was going. Some of you, uh, yeah, I want to give people a little a slight introduction uh, to why I have you on here. Uh, so oh. first of all, Steve is feeling a little unwell this week, and I was like, well, I need to get somebody back on. And recently, you may have noticed that we published some data about the most listened to talks. Uh, on Tamper Tantrum um, throughout the year and video and all that kind of stuff. For some reason, and Jen had asked myself to see which are which were our favourite ones. By far my favourite one was the one that, that we did with you and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting there listening to me because um, you know me well enough to know, I know. that I wouldn't just say that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I really enjoyed that and the reason it dropped off, now I'm not a techie so this is probably not going to sound right but Jen was explaining to me that we changed the the where the the podcasts were hosted or something so that yours went up as a video as opposed to a podcast and then when we switched it to whatever the new one was then all the podcasts start accumulating a lot more uh listens so you got caught between two stools that's a really uh-huh. awful explanation of what happened uh but anyway it made me angry it made me a little it's bit not angry, so
1: sir. it's not racism you're saying
0: it's that as well, but I mean, okay. a little bit of the other service stuff as well. But yeah, so it's okay.
1: I, I'm here in the US. I'm in the United States. I'm used to it, so it's okay.
0: Yeah, well I can uh, so I just said basically that we're gonna get you <laughs> back on and I'm gonna to talk to you. Um on top of all that, uh we've talked a bit about this on Twitter. I'm not a huge fan of end of year lists and all that kind of stuff. And I was gonna sit down and make a list of the end of year lists and Jen and Truth had tried to make me do it too. And I went yeah no i'm just going to talk about the year in general and so what i've decided is that me and you at at random can make up awards and just dish them out on the spot if you feel like oh that makes sense yeah so like you can make you could say the the 2015 standing in the cold with a t-shirt award goes to james hoffman
1: 2015 you miss universe is (laughs) like that that no. was
0: that was all kind of awesome, yeah. You could just then give it to Tim. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I, <laughs> it was the cringiest thing I've seen all year. I don't know when I am really
1: finished. I, I'm, I, I'm assuming that everyone listening saw the video of... Everybody saw the, Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I've emceed and compared a lot of events and competitions. I've never made a mistake like that i've never even like <laughs> here's I mean, the question
0: well here's the question all right so you you When was the last time you announced wbc uh winner you did or, you
2: oh.
1: winner? or have you did, you've done wbc though haven't you uh, i've done yeah i've done both last time i did wbc winner mm-hmm. was uh 07 i think 07. because you most, so that's most Kyle 07, glandal, isn't it? I, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking about WBC, uh, James Hoffman. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. So James Hoffman wins that year. So who came second? Uh, Heather Perry? Heather Pe- Heather Perry.
0: So you call it Heather Perry's name. And then you realize, oh, fuck. She hasn't won this, James. What would you do? Because I, I, honestly, I honestly think I would just go, fuck it. Like... <laughs> Gonna I mean, win. to
1: me, it's an absurd, it's a completely absurd thing. I mean, you ask, what would you do? The answer is, I would never have made that mistake, unless the card was wrong. I mean, it's kind of like asking, like, well, what would you do if you dropped your pants and started wiggling your penis out like, in front of a crowd of a million people? It's like, or you just well, that was don't my next do question. that. It's not something that just happens accidentally. You don't accidentally read the wrong name. <laughs> on a thing that's like that but
0: important. Didn't he, didn't he claim that it was on the auto queue
1: that they, they got the wrong name there or something? No, he yeah. said the card was confusing. And then he held the card up. And you're looking at the card, and I'm thinking to myself, I've read from cards that look almost exactly like that dozens of times and never, you know, oh, you never check. fumbled nothing. It's ridiculous. But the
0: worst thing was when they anyway, made the whatever. two of them stand together, and he just didn't want to go near them. And there was a good good 90 seconds of the two of them just standing beside each other, not wanting to make eye contact, going,
1: what the fuck's happening now? Well, mm. and, and Miss, Miss Columbia in that moment, like, no one very came gracious. out to help her. Mm. Well, I mean, gracious I or off. not, it's just that she was just standing there, um, not knowing what to do. I don't know very much about the details of those two women. I don't know if they speak very good English, they even if they even knew what was going on um, when he apologized or whatever. But anyway... We digress. <laughs> we do. Repeatedly. Yes. Um. So we'll just have so, one winner. If you make up an award, it'll be one winner. It won't be one, and then you change your mind. We, we could change our minds. Yeah, it is yeah. 2015. You can change your mind of, about who won something whenever you want. Yes, and how. So, uh, Steve Harvey.
0: How, how would you – because I've got, I've got a few notes here about what I think this year will go down. as. I have no notes in terms of... Yes, yeah, so I've got a, a tactical advantage here, but, like, in terms of coffee, is it a good year? Is it a bad year? Do you... Um, like, because... Um, I don't know. Well, you've, you've, you've read James' posts, like, uh, the slightly worrying things in his mind about what's happening in, in coffee. Like, do you think coffee's in a good place, a bad place? What, what do you take away from this year? Is this the year of
1: what? Is this the year of what? Maybe it's the year of nothing. I mean... Does it have to be a year of something not really like but it it's 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 kind of
0: appropriate at this time of year to say it's the year of something like I don't know, like is it the year of 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 coffee grinders? I think there's been lots of coffee grinders I think there's it's definitely been the year of mergers slash buyouts There's been a lot of that happening,
1: yeah, I mean that has to be. The, uh, probably the biggest industry news of the year right definitely I mean, the states I, anyway I, yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that 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 I, it's it's a little bit unfair i mean i know that living here in the states we live in a, a u.s bubble news bubble and so we tend to exaggerate over exaggerate our own importance maybe everybody does but I, th- I don't think anyone does it quite like the americans do no, no, no i think americans. i think
0: that every see everybody does a but like you're not watching the Irish media, but we're watching the American media. Do you know what right. I mean? Right, and so it's like, something
1: that people don't realize that unless you've traveled a lot internationally. If you're in it, Americans, aren't aware of that fact? They think that you know that everyone kind of acts like themselves, and so when when you go when you travel around, I mean that's one of the things that was very striking to me when I first started traveling was how much everyone in every country is paying attention to the american media it's it's strange mm. but then it then everything makes play uh makes sense falls into place
0: yeah and it's kind of in a sense it's the home of media because it's it's where like like the biggest films are from where the biggest uh, corporations are from where like the right. biggest sporting events are held and it's kind of it, it, it comes from from that kind of thing but i don 't know like i think um definitely around the world we're seeing a lot more buyouts mergers that kind of thing like even steve obviously joining forces with um with drop is one thing over the side of the ocean mm-hmm. there's definitely been a lot of small companies like Beauty's in ireland are buying up a lot of uk companies and um there's, there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, of that kind of stuff happening is it something you think a lot about or is it just something that well, passes in the wind
1: i mean i th- i think we i mean i spent a lot of time thinking and wondering about industry stuff like both you know big picture little picture stuff but I wanted to ask you that JAB the Benneker whatever that that company is that bought Pete's and Intelligentsia and Stumptown and Mm -hmm. Green Mountain now um when they made their other acquisitions for European brands was it news in Europe
0: I don't know not really I think the reason why it was in the US so much is because you see, there are US like intelligentsia is a, is a I know there's there's places in Chicago and LA and I think that's it, is it? Or New York. New York okay, yeah. So but yep. then they, they supply wholesale coffee. Like they're they're known throughout the USA in general. And same for Stumptown. Like you have you have and this blue bottle, there's um, I'm trying to think, I suppose pizza themselves but there's this coffee companies that are kind of all across the US. We don't really have that in Europe. There's no European stump town, There's no European blue bottle. You know, like mm. you have like the famous coffee shops in Europe that you guys might know of or is Tim Wendelboe in, in Oslo or Caffeine in London or, you know, Telescope in Paris. You know, it's there's no place that has multi locations around. Now, I'm not saying that's never going to happen, but it's there are obviously huge cultural shifts between i mean Waikiki and kansas but like it's sure it there's still a lot more joining it than there is between prague and
1: stockholm and lisbon you know what i mean right well, i've also heard that you know that um like a company for instance like what are they called uh the one who runs stockflets in norway um folberg okay, yeah. and hansen yeah so Solberg and I, I've been I've been told that a lot of companies and this you know varies of course from country to country. Europe is not one uh, culture, one business culture, but that a lot of the European countries, you know, there's a larger companies might get into specialty, but like a place like Solberg and Hansen is both specialty and more commercial grade coffee.
0: Well, they're owned that- by a company that is even more commercially oriented than they are, and then there's stock flats, and then they have a and ownership in Tim Wendelboe. I'm not sure about Nordic repro- approach, but there's like, there is, there's a structure there's some there. There's a crossover,
1: right. Yeah. But my, my question is, I mean, is that it seems like specialty coffee as we, you know, commonly refer to it as is generally a, like a small boutique sort of company level thing in Europe, most places because of the market forces and as well, as well as sort of business culture, Whereas yeah. here, it's you know we have some of these larger you know twenty ten twenty million dollars annual revenue plus um, specialty companies. Like, we have a handful of them here, right? Yeah, um,
0: I, I think there is a political reason behind that as well. Um, like obviously Bernie Sanders is going to come in and change all this in, in the coming years, but the to a certain <laughs> extent, um, like it's there is an independent feel to small specialty places. And if those specialty places start to grow, it it feels that, like, in Europe, that would, there would be resistance to that. Mm, do you know right. what I mean? Like, you, you can't do that. You're You're fighting the fight. You can't become this commercial entity. Whereas in the States, it's a little bit more, like, you go,
1: dude. That was my American accent right there. Um, but, like, you know, there's a bit oh, please, more... Please do an American accent. There's nothing I enjoy more than people well, from other countries trying to do an American accent. Well, Nick, there Seriously. is no
0: American accent. You know, there's many different diverse places across the United States that have very different accents. But I could... There is that kind of pan-American accent, though, isn't there? Yeah, way? please, please, please. Like, like, what do you want me to say? I could think of something. Well, what you were going to say about the American market. That, that I can't remember. Okay. So, if you have... Uh, I'm completely blank now. <laughs> so, so I feel like the American market is a lot more. I should like do every podcast in this voice. It would be amazing. Well, I, so, I love it. but like, okay. So there's this story. Okay, let's wind it uh-huh. there's, there's this story that Bono tells. Okay. And he says that, you know, there's a guy driving past, the ho- uh, driving past a house in the States and he, like, he's driving down the road and he looks up at the house and he goes, you know, someday I'm going to be just like that guy. And he said the difference between the States and Ireland is that in Ireland, the guy will drive past that big house in the hill and will look at it and go, someday I'm going to get that bastard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that kind of sums it all up. So I think that's probably that's a large so part of the reason why you You don't have those pan-European chains,
1: but Well, so I was just in uh, New Zealand last month, and they kept talking about uh this thing they called the tall poppy syndrome, which yeah. is that the poppies have to grow together, and if one happens to outpace the others, there's a tendency for the market to kind of lop off the head of the one that's out you know doing extra well. And so, you know, some of the folks who have, have uh, been in the industry and, and traveled a lot were really complaining a lot about that idea that when people get successful, they're taken down by not by the competition, but by the market. Like they don't like to see yeah. success, this which is as it, coming from the U.S. is very interesting. I mean, I don't think it's complete, like 100 percent different, but I do think that obviously in the U.S. there's a little bit more – people cheer you on as you're going forward and they want the consumer base wants to attach to a su- successful brand yeah. um, more so than, you know, this idea. And it, it has, it's a lot about the culture and a lot about the sort of idea of diversity here and the, the mm-hmm. what I like to call the American experiment. Um, that's so interesting though. I guess that's like that there too.
0: Yeah. Well, like I think as well as that, like there's, I, I spoke to a guy, like Dublin is very much the epicenter of, of like, tech business in Europe like Facebook, Google, Dropbox, LinkedIn, they, a lot of them have their offices near our shop uh, Right. and um, I was talking to a guy there and I said like he was travels back and forth to San Francisco all the time and I was saying like do you find this? He said well I do but he said like it's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing because in Ireland people will knock you down if you if you start doing too well for yourself, you know, you, you start to become, you're, you're on a pedestal, you're there to be shot at. Uh, and he says it's a bad thing in the sense that you know it's you know it's sometimes hurtful. It can hold you back, whatever. But he said like the other thing is that it's a good thing sometimes because you never get vacuous praise. You know, like this, this mm. is never this thing is like, oh, I'm doing this. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's great. But people will be more like, why are you doing that? And is it really good? Do you know what I mean? So you can balance it, but generally, we're a bunch of begrudgers. I think is the best way. I can I can sum it all up. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I think, do you think we're going to see more mergers? Do you think this is a trend that is going to happen, regardless of whether we want to do it or not?
1: I mean, I think to some degree. I, I will I will uh, add here that this is something Rick Reinhardt, uh, executive, executive director of SCAA, has been talking about for four or five years. Then it generally um, happens. Yeah. I mean, he he sort of predicted this. Um, then and before it really started happening. And right before that he he was saying that, um, and, and when I say say that, you know, this is more in, in conversations or in in some of the speeches that he's given. But um, he, he sort of also predicted, and it's, I guess this is less they're both, they're both, you know, neither one is that shocking, but um, he did talk about the rise of these small small roasters, like every cafe that opens at this point on there's going to be a strong inclination to plug a small roaster in and roast, at least for the cafe. I saw you talk th- about that as well. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that uh, you know, James Hoffman's uh, recent posts about London, I think is symptomatic of that. You know, the idea that more than 50% of coffee roasters have opened in the past two years in London sounds like uh, bad statistics, but it also kind of makes sense if you're counting everyone who plugs in a little two, three pound little roaster and just roasting for, a, for their own own shop. Now, of course, if they all want to vie for wholesale business, that's a whole different story. But yeah. um, getting back to the mergers thing, I mean, it makes sense that there would be a few more. I mean, usually these things happen um, in a certain kind of way where there's the, the sort of trendsetter type or the pioneering type that try, do something that because it's smart. And then there's the next sort of wave that comes, and they do it because other people seem to be doing it, and they look successful, so they do it. You know, you could say, we, you know, we talk about three waves of coffee. There's, there's, it's even within the third three, the third wave, there are these ripples, and I think that Hoffman also uh, mentioned that as well. There are the people who kind of, you know, blaze the trail, and then there were the people who oh, that sounds like a really good idea. I could do that really well, too. And then there's the people who see that and just, they just, oh, like, I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I could make that happen. You know, dad, can I have a million dollars to build a coffee business? And, and uh, each, each sort of generation they're in yeah. is less, less good at what they do, I guess, more brand-driven than anything else
0: yeah i I spoke with James a good bit about this over the last few months, just one of the different things we are doing and like one thing that kind of struck me about like what he was he's been saying this to for for a while to me, and I was saying that like there was a sense I remember flying to London before I got into coffee like six years ago seven years ago, flying to London to like go down these back street alleys to like secret coffee tasting parties and there was a sense that, like, this is like an <laughs> an underground movement that we were gonna change the world. Right. You know I mean, and like without knowing it, I'm presuming that the same that same feeling was was in murky coffee, uh, was in like, I don't Definitely. know, the stock Plets of two thousand and five, and and although I'm like extremely satisfied by what I do and uh, really happy with what I do and really proud of what we do, that sense of rebellion is it's still there to a certain extent, but it's not as
1: I don't know it's not as acute as it was back there wow really i don't i I completely disagree only because you know if if we're grow- if we're growing this industry and we're progressing and you you sort of use the the a uh, visualization of climbing a mountain, you know each as you progress, you're sort of in a new context. And so it's not the same battles, but there's yeah. new battles to fight. Well, that's kind and of my I point. I think we agree then because I, I just,
0: the sense of rebellion is what's missing. I, I, I see it as like – what excites me now is, is like professionalism, like the sustainability, the kind of – oh, like we've kind of – we can make this a thing now, whereas before we were, we were trying to spark a
1: fire. You know what I mean? Right. That's loads I, of
0: metaphors. I, they make no sense together.
1: Well, I think that, you know, I, and this is something I talk about a lot. So it's 2015. It's coming to an end. It'll be 2016 in just two weeks, which is f- incredibly frightening, less than two weeks. In, um, about 10 years ago, in 2000, 2005, was pretty much when most of the friends I have in the industry in the U.S., I met in 2005. The ones that are a little bit older, sort of the more like the people who were cons- kind of considered that first ripple of the third wave kind of group, like Peter, Giuliano, and, and my wife Trish, and um, you know, people like that, like Doug Zell. That's 5 is when I met everyone. And at that time, um, at, at all corners of the industry, it really felt like what we were advocating, what we were pushing for, was indeed this sort of radical faction of specialty coffee, you know, at the time, um, for instance, La Marzocco was the only game in town as a you know as far as an espresso machine company that cared about that um, sort of competition barista type sort of per- like customer base. And so when we would go to some of these other manufacturers at the shows and talk about you know could you do things more temperature stable? Could you do this? Could you do that? Their responses were literally some form of You know, that's a really good idea, except we have a business to run. And you're talking about you're talking about things that one tenth of one percent of the industry cares about. And, you know, despite these good ideas, like good luck, but you're just never going to get anyone to pay any attention to you. And um, it very much felt that way by 2005. Um, one of the hottest topics happening at SCAA was the proliferation of baristas on the show floor. It was like this invasion of this sort of like new generation, and the the people who were um, had booths at the shows, and this is around the world. We're all complaining to each other and to the to the show organizers. Like, what's with all these baristas? You know, I need to talk to people who I need to talk to people who can buy. Twenty or two hundred of my product, I can't talk to someone who you know has no buying power, has makes no buying decisions, and even if they do, they might be responsible for one purchase. But, the, you know, the, but the, the, those people
0: the, would end up bu- driving the sales because they ended up being the person working in the cafe who who knew where
1: things were going, and the owners would trust. Is that well? That's what changed was that people, you know. The analogy I use a lot is like Formula One or you know just professional sort of car uh, auto racing. So you know how many Ferraris, Formula One or IndyCar level sort of cars are sold in in the world? Like, well, very obviously very few, and those things can do stuff that you know nobody really needs except for those guys. Well, like traction control comes from that, I think. Sure, yeah, there are things that trickle down for sure, but the point is that. I think, you know, in o four o five, 05, La Marzocca won the um, WBC machine sponsorship uncontested. No one else submitted wow. a machine. I I believe – I could be wrong about this, but I, as far as I know, they were the only ones who submitted a machine. You're actually allowed
0: to make things up on this podcast, so off you go.
1: <laughs> Very good. Whereas in 07 for the 2008 year, the year that um, – what do you call it? That Nova, was it the year Nova? Yeah, that was the year Nova Simonelli showed up. Um, I remember the testing, and I'm sort of picturing it in my head. There were eight or nine machine manufacturers there, and pretty much it was the who's who of everyone that you know. It was, you know, Ranchilio and Chimbali and, and, uh, um, you Cineso know, people like that. And- no, Sineso. That was before, uh, it was, Sineso didn't never, they never had the, the, um, what he called the money to to bid but these larger companies like Brasilia was there I remember distinctly Mm -hmm. um you know of course La Marzocco but at at that time you know the machine engineers were at the testing and they it was like this little um little like you know they have barista retreats and roasters retreats it was like a little retreat for machine designers they were just eating and gobbling up everything that James Hoffman and me and like other people were able to um, provide for them as far as input. Whereas again, three, four years ago, they just wouldn't even give us the time of day. And so that was really, to me, 5 06 was that turning point when all of a sudden that thing that was so um, sort of uh, were on the margins be, sort of re, well, you know, the whole industry recalibrated itself within a couple of years and put us at the leading edge of things, at the at the, the proverbial tip of the spear. And like, for
0: for context, like, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So at uh, like at Murky, you had Katie Car- Cardullo, mm-hmm. whose name I often yep. murder. Uh, David Nigel Flynn. Yes. Did Zachary Carlson work there at some stage?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, yourself, obviously. Uh, yep, Aaron Altimo, uh, who's in Philadelphia yeah. now.
0: because I saw your blog post during the week on um, Medium. Is that what you call Yes. Um, and it's like that's that's such a legacy to leave behind. Is all these people? I'm sure there's there's others who are now often doing great things in the industry. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible thing. But thanks. So. Yeah, so I, I get the feeling you're a lot more positive about the future then.
1: I, I have to be, but it's also, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a jerk or c- more arrogant than I am, which is really hard because I <laughs> sound very arrogant. <laughs> Nobody um, would think that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, you have to, it, if you're not, f- it, it, it's like I tell my children, I have two daughters, uh, 10 and 12. You know, when one of them is, they try to say something like, I, I'm really bored right now. My response is, if you're bored, that means you're boring. Yeah you know and that's how i feel about the coffee industry too if you're if you're um feeling like like nothing's really happening around you then that means you're not making anything happen yeah. and I, I will i will i'll say that and again i know i sound like a jerk in a way because oh, you know e- even even back 10 years ago when all these things were happening it wasn't everybody there was a collective sort of thing but there were also um sort of key things that were going on um that that really push things forward. I'll, I'll mention, and it's something that people should hear. Um, you know, with, within the SCAA context, which really does like it or not. And I, I'm not that kind of arrogant American. Like I try to be pretty objective about it. You definitely see how SCAA activities molds and shapes what's happening in, in the global industry. Um, you know, the most significant thing that's happened at the SCAA, you know, in the past. 15, 20 years is really Rick Reinhardt assuming the role of executive director. And it's not it's not me just patting him on the back and saying how he's how he's so great. The thing that Rick did quietly without hardly anyone noticing was he completely changed the conversation about specialty coffee. Whereas before Rick was executive director, you know specialty coffee was sort of the general big tent, big you know umbrella sort of definition of everyone from Dunkin Donuts, you know, all the way up to, you know, the the, the highest, most expensive cup of excellence, coffee. Um, when Rick took over at SCAA as the executive director, he changed the conversation, and he just acted like it was always so, that in fact, like, the high end of specialty is the thing that's leading, you know, that sort of idea of taking that fringe stuff and making it the leading edge, the tip of the spear. Rick is really the single most important factor in that entire thing, because, you know in press releases and the way that the industry looks and stuff and whatever he really just completely redefined the whole industry and reformed it into what we know today to be again where and I would say rightly so yeah. um uh, putting a lot of the high end specialty uh at, at that leading sort of edge and then letting the the big um the big companies Basically, draft behind that as far as trends and what's going on.
0: Yeah, because like to, I, I don't like to use the term, especially like because you kind of. My, Why? Local, my my local petrol station says specialty coffee on the wall, so it's kind of diff- difficult. But it's I know I know what you're getting at, but it's like it, to me. Don't it's, be. It, it it's you can't a, be afraid to use these terms. Well, <laughs> it's but, okay. So, but for me, it's a it's a notional thing. Uh huh like so to the to the sense like what notional is, yeah like it's it, it not that it doesn't exist but it's it's, a, uh-huh. it's an aspirational thing it's like how can we you know store this green better how can we get more sweetness out of this coffee how can we learn more about this growing profile how can we extract better if not more um Like these sort of things. And it's always those incremental, those like iterations of processes to to make everything slightly better. And that's, it's the pursuit of something. It's like, um, there was a small effort amongst uh, a few people this side of the water a while back to try and to to start speaking about progressive coffee rather than specialty coffee. Because it it implies that it's about progression. It's about making things better. It's not actually
1: about what it is. It's about what it's going to be. Does that make sense? It does... But I honestly, you know, there was an article that came out this past week on uh, Eater.com here mm. that Liz, Liz Clayton wrote. I'll just, you know, say it. Liz Clayton wrote, who's a friend, who I generally respect, but really was sort of eye roll inducing. It was, You know, it was about why I don't use the term third wave. And James Hoffman's blog, blog you know, his three part series, I think in the first one he mentions that too. Like, I don't like to use the word third wave. You know, to me, it's it's I'm just going to say, like, you know, with all due respect to my friends and to you, you know, this sort of I don't like to use that term sort of thing is is it's a lot. It really smacks a lot of I don't wear that. That's so 2014. No, I like don't Nick, I don't listen Nick, to that band Nick. like that band Nick. actually is now in, successful
0: in. I'm trying to think what year it was. I can't even remember. Let's just say nineteen seventy three. I can't remember. But <clears throat> I That's went I to see born. I went to see Oasis play in the Point Theatre, okay, in Dublin. And they were <laughs> say no more. They were fucking awesome. It was amazing. And I was like uh-huh. I went to school the next day, I was like, oh, I was Oasis last night. And I was only I think I was fifteen at the time, so I shouldn't have even been there. And they ever was like, Who's Oasis? And I'm like, Ha yeah, who's Oasis? <laughs> like three years later, if you ask me who Oasis, if i liked oasis i was like no i'm like blur i'm totally about blur like i hate oasis they're idiots you know their music is terrible despite uh-huh. the fact that they create they made like i can say it now they made one of because they're they're everybody hates them there but now again i will say that they made one of the best albums of all time oasis and, or blur uh, oasis and then uh-huh. so when you come to me with this accusation that like i'm somehow not using this term because it's not cool uh i would say absolutely nick that's exactly <laughs> you've hit the nail on the head what do you
1: want well, like <laughs> well i think that you know on the surface it can be you know especially like someone like me could be could could make the accusation that it's cuz it's not cool no i understand why people don't want to use it i understand the reasons why i just don't agree in other words like the reasons why people don't want to use these terms is because most of the time like 90% of the time it it seems that it is because somebody has co-opted that term in a way that makes it less useful as a descriptive to that particular person and that makes a lot of sense but then it also makes no sense in in, in the same exact way because if that's the case then wrestle it the fuck away from those people then yeah. you know then let's you know that's the way these things work you don't you know when somebody yeah, You invent something and then someone else invents the similar thing and then you just like, you know, just smash it to the ground and go home crying to your mother. Like, you know, we're not children. We're grown people. If if there's an issue about the way these things are being used, then, you know, I, I, I used to – you know, I'm being very candid here. I used to say the same thing to Doug Zell. You know, intelligentsia was definitely – the main company that was pioneering the term direct trade in this concept. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of people don't know or don't realize, which is actually very part of the story, is Intelligentsia had a list of eight criteria that direct, that basically defined what direct trade meant. It wasn't just a word, you know, even though the word direct trade is descriptive enough that you can sort of attribute, you can sort of create your own, Um, definition to it just based on what you know about coffee intelligentsia was more formal than that they had a list of eight things it was like the 10 commandments on stone tablets yeah and so what i would hear from my friends at intelligentsia doug zell and others is oh so and so company is using the term direct trade And like, yeah, like, aren't you glad that your concept is becoming successful and becoming sort of like sticky out there? And they would go, but they're not even using all eight. They're not using the eight criteria at all. They're just like making up their own thing. To which I would look at them and said, what have you done? To make sure that people knew those eight things. Show me what marketing efforts you did. Show me the the sort of way that you fought the fight out there in the marketplace of ideas to make sure that people know. Like, are people supposed to all, like, come, you know, like, how is anyone supposed to know? So they did nothing to make sure people knew, but were very openly, like, critical and, like, whiny, actually, about about that,
0: it turned into pass the parcel to a certain extent. Because I think, like, so, so I'll give you a good example. So, Steve was buying coffee for hat from Hasbeen from a certain place, yeah. And he was then selling that coffee to 3FE, who we weren't roasting at the time, so we were wholesaling Hasbeen in Ireland. So, he was selling it to us, and then we were selling it to wholesale customers. and mm-hmm. I went to one of those customers' uh, cafe one day and I was drinking coffee, and I overheard them telling the customer, Oh, yeah, this is a direct trade coffee and they say what does that mean it's like oh well it means that like that we buy straight from the, the farm gate and it all goes to the farmer and I'm like wow right. like and it just it turned into pass the parcel like so then that person is going home and saying they've like they've served the coffee to their grandmother and be like grandmother I, I, I paid the farmer for this coffee like right. and it's, it it became this thing and then that,
1: the last person's like I farmed this coffee myself exactly <laughs> So right. in like, the, in the states we, we call that the telephone game. Yeah. Right.
0: I don't I can I'm like because we buy coffees and people say to me are they direct trade and I'm like well like 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 Steve owns half of 3 fe and, and he bought it and like he 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 had it in mind for us and then like we had a sample and we liked it and he sent us but like has been paid for it, and we paid has been for it and so I don't know I like I worry a lot about whether I could like in a very bona fide way, say it's direct trade because it, it didn't come to our road street first and, and the cash came from Steve's account. You know what I mean? So I think it's... Right. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a nonsense. But.
1: but then, you know, it, it sort of begs the question, well, how do you remedy that? Or, you know, in a hindsight 2020 way, like how would you have done that better? Or us, when I say you, I mean us as an industry. Yeah, because the, the
0: principles apply for direct trade. It just...
1: I, I don't want to go... Like you're saying, how would I remedy that? I don't want to go sourcing coffee. So we- no but i'm i'm talking about how do, how do you remedy the um misattribution or the 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 misunderstanding of what something like a concept like direct trade means because it's rampant as you know we, people it's a it's just like you know oh i remember 10 15 years ago the The big mantra was, like, gourmet, in air quotes, gourmet coffee. Gourmet is meaningless now because so many shitty co- uh, coffee companies have used that term. As so is, is no one
0: as is barista. Like, it's the same thing. There's no accreditation. Well, that,
1: well that's the thing. And that's the thing. And, you know, uh, to me, like, how would you pre- – how do you prevent that from happening? It's like, well – you don't do it by folding your arms and leaning back in your chair and just complaining about it. You know, I I would say that, you know, that, that with the United States, you know, I, I appreciate your podcast, I, I know that you like I know that you like me to say say uh, uh more provocative sort of like, you know, uh revealing sort of things. I uh, I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll share I'll you know, I'll name names in in the situation and I say this completely in love and respect. Um, you know, in the United States, we have these leading specialty coffee brands, uh, and people, you know, for years named them as Intelligentsia, Counterculture, Stumptown, sometimes in different orders, usually Intelligentsia first, sometimes sometimes Stumptown first, usually Counterculture last. And then sometimes more recently, people have been wanting to add Blue Bottle to that mix. I would say that in its current form, you know, none of those companies have really, you know, and, and I'm choosing these words carefully, exerted leadership on the industry in a way that they could and arguably should. You know, they're the leading brands, but they're not, you know, okay, so was, I there, would say that was a
0: six-year in, period where
1: Intelligentsia were, like, we're leading everything, though, no? That, I, I would make the argument that Intelligentsia was leading, uh, by certain example. And a certain degree, I won't say of marketing, but definitely through their cafes and such, you know, in terms of drawing a lot of attention. But as far as, and I'm not saying this, only saying this because he's my friend, but, you know, of that whole group in that sort of prior, that that particular era, like 05 to, to 2010 kind of thing. You know, only in counterculture and Peter Giuliano were really, I think, making a true positive effort to exert leadership on the industry, to basically say, to make, you know, bold statements, here's how things need to go, here's how things need to change. You know, Jeff Watts is a fantastic, brilliant guy, but if you spend any time with him, he's not somebody who likes to... Kind of get preachy. If you ask him a question, he'll give you a brilliant answer, but he'll never open his mouth unless he's asked a question. And, like, in, in, a, in many circumstances, of, I'm generalizing here. Whereas for Peter, you know, that's one of the things that he's, he's really known for is that, you know, in any given situation, um, with any given topic, you know, give it five minutes. Peter's in the middle of a story yeah. that's going to that's gonna teach you something. Like he, and yeah. that's.
0: I, I don't really pay much attention to Facebook, it's going to flick through it, but I crave. Like Facebook posts from Peter Giuliano, regardless because of he whether, can't help himself, yeah, but regardless of whether they're about like I don't know like wet holding coffee in in Sumatra or about the fa- like his favorite toy car when he was six i and they'd be like a page long, and I'll just read them they're amazing and I kind of
1: yeah I'm all about right, that. right, but you know in that way, I think that um you know we talk about twenty fifteen and these mergers and such uh. And some of the things that James has been, has been talking about and even this recent, um, I, I don't know if you've been following this Mast Brothers story yeah. out of New York, you know, this idea of authenticity and, and messaging as it relates to marketing and such. You know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, James James gave Hoffman gave a talk in New Zealand at the same RICO symposium that that uh, I did and that Trish did. Rick Reinhardt was there as well a few weeks ago. And you know my talk was more about I don't know if they're gonna put the videos up, but um my talk was definitely more about the, the I guess the summary was you know we're not actually very good at what we do as an industry and as individuals, and that we need to f- find ways to learn or be taught and in and in response to the question well what would somebody who learned and was taught these things well like what kind of career path would be open to them sort of proposing? Um, a new job description for a specialty coffee company. So I'll sort of tease it that way. Yeah. But, th- but that said, you know, I, I do think that this lack of leadership thing has been um, an, I- an issue. And I think it's a defining characteristic of our industry. And if you look at a lot of the ways that trends and things happen, it really happens by like reluctant accidental leadership and that or, or something happen. you know, like perfect example is the whole thing about Matt, Perger and the EK 43s for espresso grinding. Other people did that before. You know, I remember didn't John Gordon do that right before like a couple yeah, of years yeah. before
0: that? Uh, Scott Rao and um uh oh his name escapes me from Cafe Myriad, um Anthony Bender.
1: Anthony Benda. You know, and before that, I remember there was this guy, um i want to say his name was Philip Search, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, like he had a de- like a. um a deconstructed, and I don't mean it in the the food sense, like a deconstructed, I think it was a bun uh, G-series grinder that he used for espresso on stage or something like that. You know, and that was like even a couple years before that. But there's something about the way that Matt did it that caught everyone's attention. Now he's the one who's credited with making that innovation, you know, it's a little bit like Christopher Columbus. You know, discovered America. It's like, well, he, he didn't, but okay, let's just say he did because people want to have a, you know, that be the story. Um, in in but, Ireland,
0: we claim it was a monk from here, but you know. <laughs> really Saint Brendan, yeah, he discovered it in a curragh. A curragh is like a, like a, I suppose what, what can best be described
1: as a leather boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he he was carrying the what is it called Book of Kells.
0: Uh, my wife is from Kells, as it happens.
1: It's a very sore point. They
0: took the book from there and brought it to Dublin. Oh! Yeah, I
1: yeah. should t- send it back. Seriously. Um, but anyway, the point being that, you, you know, there's a, there are certain ways that trends and, you know, popular ideas um, happen in the industry. And if you look but at a lot no of other industries... behind it. It's just they, they just, just splurt it out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so, you know, so, on that... So in summary,
0: in summary... Uh-huh. Merger of the Year twenty fifteen goes to Rick Reinhart.
1: Wow! Just say yes. Is that, okay. Yeah. Okay. If cool. you say so? Yeah. So. I, I like I, I like where you're going with this. I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, th- there tends to be there tends to be tendencies as tendencies t- tend to be um, that, that a lot of these awards are very like American centric if that's a word um, because I think a lot of the coffee media is. Is, is that side, you know? So we need to think of a non-American winner for the next one. Uh, okay. I want to talk to you about the the processes of coffee changing. Okay, uh, in terms of like coffee bars. So there's lots of okay. So this year at host, I think f- like Brasilia launched a grinder with a with a digital scale in it. Malkunik had one. Mazur had one. There is digital scales in, obviously in Victoria's Arduino machine. The new Linear machine. This, uh, the new Achaia scales talks via Bluetooth to espresso machines. So when you hit brew, it tears the Achaia scale and then you can start brewing into it, it. So like, there's a lot more, and a bit of talk to- talk here and there about being to cut machines, getting a lot better, that kind of thing. So the automation of espresso and that kind of thing, I think is coming to, it's definitely coming to some sort of a peak at this stage, or it seems that way. Uh, is it better? I don't. No, I don't think so. I worry. Like, it is in the right hands.
1: That's a good way to put it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, And and I think, but I, I would add on to that. It's it is in the right hands. The problem is, developing more of those quote unquote right hands isn't really happening. There aren't ways for people to learn the other stuff that the scales and such aren't teaching you and the the scales of refractometers teach you certain things and in the right hands it's an it's a wonderful additional insight uh, on top of the other things that you've learned and that you know in order to sort of uh you know eke out quality from what you're doing but my concern and you see it time and time again is that, that that latter part that background information is not being conveyed any way and instead, the tools out there are speaking for themselves and everyone's obsessed with refractometers and with scales mm-hmm. and don't understand the the other dimensions of it very well. And that's troubling. And that's where I'm not sure that it's necessarily an improvement, but I, I think what you said is fair, the right hands.
0: Yeah, because I think there's there's definitely a tendency to just to fall back on the numbers and be like, well, it can't be bad because it was x in y out or that kind of thing um but so let me put it to you this way so next year reneca unveil a machine okay that basically you just put bags of coffee in the top of it and it serves you like incredible espresso all the time would you use that
1: no is this a oasis all over again? No, I think it's Clover Machine over again to some degree. You know, the Clover Machine was something that was celebrated and reviled at the exact same moment. You know, I guess you could say that about anything in coffee, right? You know, <laughs> people love it, and for as many people who love it, there are people who are quietly hating it, maybe you know ten times more. Um, but you know, the Clover Machine—I I don't want to get on a, too much of a tangent here—but the Clover Machine—it's kind of where you're headed the stir the stirring part yeah ended up being sort of like the <laughs> yeah well yeah it was and you know i think that the lever machine thing i think that levers are fun mm-hmm. um when la Marzocco reintroduced the paddle group in oh seven oh eight, mm-hmm. um it was really because people wanted like i think sinesso showed people that Pushing the paddle rather than like a button with a finger is more fun. And in the craft sort of element of things. It was like it's you're, just,
0: you're pulling like, I don't know, like you know those, the big handle you see on, on a, a 747 that they pull the lever back to, to. Right. Yeah. I remember talking to John Gordon about this and like uh, many years ago. I said, wouldn't it be cool to go and something similar has, has popped up on their San Remo machine now with the, that big kind of like. Bigly. And Rivasoko right. launched that thing at host as well
1: with the even bigger lever. Right. So it's like you can just hear Han Solo Chewie punch it and then push that thing or pull it and then you hit light speed. Yeah, it's right? amazing. It makes you know, you feel I, I in the process, you can hear this. I don't know if you can hear that. This is my uh, my mechanical keyboard. You know, there's something about this keyboard. This is with Cherry MX switches and everything. Like it's a it's a, a mechanical keyboard, not a, a what they call membrane. Sort of keyboard, it's just more fun to type on this than it is like a an Apple a regular Apple keyboard. Even though I'm plugged into an iMac here, um, yeah, when the blue when the the uh, what do you call it the Blackberries were going out of fashion, you know the biggest complaint with the iPhone among blackberry users was i want my keyboard i want to be able to feel the keys you know that feel stuff it's important you know if you hear car manufacturers and car designers talk about how how much time they spend just on the design of the handle and how it feels in your hand and how the door closes
0: there are electric cars obviously that don't make very much noise and there are companies that will retrofit systems into your electric car that make it kind of gurgle like a 75 mustang or right you can change it every day you know
1: and that's and I think that there's there's that some of it's just vinyl. habits that people can't break. It's a yeah like vinyl the the pops and and scratches for vinyl. Um, you know I, I like the Curtis Wilbur Curtis Brewers a lot. Yeah. The G4 series are, are really great. They're they're the most as far as I know they're the most sort of like uh, programmable um, as far as the 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 brew patterns and such the pulses. But people say I don't like the touch screen. And I get it like yeah. you know I think it's 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 a silly thing to be concerned about I think they're more important things about a brewer, but I get it you know I, I get it when people have been looking at like the Alpha Domenici steampunk and, the, and and they'll wrinkle up their nose and go, you mean the one with the like the Android phone that's built into it or the tablet yeah yeah, yeah. It, it'll say that with a funny look on their face um you know I, I, think, that yeah, I think that people makes sense. like you have to you, love it
0: like. Oddly enough, you're going to spend a lot of time with it, so.
1: It needs to feel good, yeah. you know, we're, we're, so. we're, to take a cue from Peter Giuliano, it's like, we're, we're made, we're create, we're evolved to be feelers, you know, we're evolved to be tasters and feelers and lookers and hearers and smellers, you know, so okay. that feel thing, that tactile, it's very important.
0: So, we will give innovation of the year 2015 to Oasis, What's the Story Morning Glory?
1: Congratulations, Noel. Noelle. <laughs> Awesome, <laughs> definitely.
0: So, like, I, I want to talk about something without talking about it, because I'm still a little bit sore about it, but we recently put a water tasting onto our coffee menu, and got ah, absolutely... Ah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Absolutely minced in the media about it, like... Tell I, the story. Uh, what basically... Was, what was your reasoning behind it, yeah? So basically, people come to the shop, they get coffee, they, co- they buy coffee, uh, they bring it home, they brew it, it tastes awful, they come back and they're like, this coffee is terrible... And sometimes it's us, sometimes it's their water. So even if they don't come back, what they might do to remedy is that they might buy a new grinder. Or a new espresso machine or a new something. And they're like they're kinda of chasing this problem and it's a very simple piece of information to let them know that it might just be the water. Mm. So uh, We're sitting around going, how would we how would we like generate a conversation without being like really lectury like how do we let people know that water is an interesting thing? So we came up with this idea of doing you know, a water tasting and it's, it's not too complicated. It's like there was a distilled water, a, a boiled water, um, a filtered water, and then a bottled water. And all they had to do is taste it. And there was like little boxes and you can, you, when, you taste, usually they taste the the first one is the boiled water. And this is interesting. They taste it and they go, oh, just taste the water. And then they move on. And then one of the boxes says to go back and taste the first one. And everybody, to tea, as soon as they go back and taste the first one, they just go, ugh, that's disgusting, and they can't drink it anymore. Um, and that, like, sparked something. They're like, wait, water is actually really approachable, really interesting, and there's undoubtedly something happening here. And then that would open up a conversation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, a reporter who didn't come and try it just saw a picture of it online, uh, just basically minced us for it. We have something that's called the Celtic Tiger, which is when the good, the good times are here and then everybody had 11 houses on mortgage and then the bad times came and then we were kind of accused of being this throwback. It's like
1: the Book of Kells. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. It's the, only, it's the only thing I know. <laughs> <laughs> you just show that random reference in all the time. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like the Book of Kells.
0: No? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, anyway, we got like all sorts of reviews, we had to issue an apology to the people that were offended by it, and it got nasty. Anyway, but yeah, within that there's a few other tasting menu things, and I, and I spoke last, a couple of weeks back, to Tim Styles at Penny University. And I was thinking a lot about this week, are tasting, coffee tasting menus, are they kind of nonsense? Because there's a lot of them this year, and this could be the year of the, of the nonsense coffee tasting menu again. Do you see a lot of that mm. stateside, or is that just over here? What do you mean nonsense coffee tasting? Well, I'm saying this tongue, like I'm definitely one of the guilty party. If it is nonsense, I mean, like in over this side of the pond, if you're if you're a specialty coffee shop, you generally have some sort of tasting experience, kind of extravaganza, sort of thing on the side. It's nonsense.
1: You don't get that over there. Some places do. It's a it's a thing. I mean. I, I get, I get, I get the the um, the desire to do something like that. I think it definitely comes with certain consequences. But I'm sorry that you went through all that. For the record, because it's, it's not fine. it's not fun. Being somebody who has been, you know, painted different ways some some by my fault, some by no fault of mine. Uh, it's it's not fun to. Be ridiculed even if it, even if it's not even if you know that it's it's not fair or but whatever it doesn't I think you fun. have
0: to yeah, you kind of get a thick skin if you if you're in this business because like you just need to go to Yelp or google reviews and you'll find some sort of hateful stuff there, and it, which is fine, but like the, I think the thing that most annoyed me is that like there was five media outlets that like hammered us, and none of them tried it like none of them came and tried it you know and that kind of mm. That completely pissed me off. But anyway, it is what it is. I think you uh you have to get kind of thick skin. But I don't know. Yeah. I think it's um I think it's it's definitely part and parcel of, of specialty coffee in Europe. I think that these sort of things are definitely gonna happen more. I've seen three other cafes this week launch new ones, just in Dublin alone. So like
1: a tasting like a tasting exploration thing. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that's more more prevalent in Europe than it is here in the U.S. Any any idea? Um, why is that? because you, you guys are so hell bent on expanding and making lots of money, and you don't have that. Is in, that why? Yeah, no, not really. Um, it might I be. Don't know. You know, like, I there's some, there's something to that. There's something to the idea that the focus is different. Is one way to rephrase that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't
1: because the customer because the, cu- okay, the customer I, base is engaging you differently. I have I have a theory then, okay?
0: Because we are we there's a huge movement here of like baristas like trying in vain to make their customers drink filter coffee, and they ah, they just yes. can't do it, you know? Right, and you don't like in the states. It's if I ask for coffee. I get I filter about. coffee. If I if I go to Italy, I get espresso. In Dublin, I will be given an Americano. Right. Um, and so I think maybe that's it because a large part of our work is trying to convince people that filter coffee is not that awful stuff that you've had at a petrol station. You know? so
1: that's so interesting. I, yeah. Well, actually, I, you,
0: I've, I, I think I spoke to you before about this, about how, that thing about how, what 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 is coffee? Like, if you say coffee, you're talking about like a filter coffee. And this popped right. up in... One of our guys, uh Dave Regan, um went to keep the compete at the World Brewers Cup. Yeah. And he <laughs> uh handed some beans to um to the judge to, to smell or some ground coffee for them to, to smell. Which is against the rules,
1: by the way. But, yeah, okay. So, but this is my
0: point, okay? And he was like, Where is it saying the rules that I can't do it? And they said that you can you can only serve the judges the coffee. And so, but in the kind of, well, I don't know from a European perspective, but from an Irish perspective, like that would mean the beans, the ground coffee, the cup of coffee, because coffee in the States is filter coffee. Like it it very much means a cup of water and coffee. You don't mean like that's that liquid that you make. Where is it in this part of the world? It means a broader thing, like coffee. If I say pass the coffee, that could mean beans or ground coffee.
1: Oh, it uh, means that here. It means that here too. I just think. Well, first of all, I'm not gonna pull up the rules, but I'm pretty sure that it specifies the beverage or something like that. The be- the coffee is served. The coffee beverage is served. Something like that. I know, cause I mean, I think so. I did write those, but they might have <laughs> ch- they might have changed it. Um. But I I get that. But, you know, uh, again, not to get too much on a tangent, the Brewer's Cup rules are written that way specifically because whereas at the WBC competition format, just people were just doing this, like smell this, then think about this, then look at this picture, and then do that. It's just like how about we make it about the coffee, the the demonstrated skill in making the coffee, not in terms of the smoke and mirrors of the show. And so it was just a focus – the thing on the you know the experience on the coffee beverage itself, you know, uh, there there are other places that like to give you the grounds. There's places here that do that as well, but yeah. um, yeah, you know, that makes
0: sense. so it, can I can I award Nonsense Coffee Menu of the Year to Three you Would that be okay? Because I feel like I need something. I went through a lot of pain. Nonsense,
1: if Nonsense Coffee is water, I love it. Yeah. Um. Would you do? Would you have done it again, knowing what you know now? Well, I'm still doing it. You
0: are. Yeah, we decided that we'd like we take all of the not even the profits of the proceeds, but well, it's fucking water. The profits are gonna be pretty high in it. But, um, <laughs> but would you have done it? But you,
1: despite all that, would you have done it again? What well, it's this say? thing.
0: You... The thing, Kate. The thing that I've kind of misjudged is that in Ireland at the moment, the government are trying to bring in this thing where they're gonna charge people for water. Like into their homes, and this has never happened before. People say water. Oh, interesting! Really, water is a right that we have, and then they come it's like, like air. Yeah, so that you need to have like water meters are being installed all over the country, and it's a huge controversy. So I, I think there's a bit of that kind of spilled it out. But in retrospect, I would the reason I didn't make it free was because I didn't want like when we're really busy on a Saturday to like a group of six people come in and go. Oh, can we get six water tastings? Because then it's you're fucking up everything for the sake of nothing. So in retrospect, I should have made it like for charity because it wasn't a money-making thing, and I probably should have foreseen that. So we we're going to give all the proceeds to a charity called Wells Wells for Zoe that build
1: wells for Book of Kells. <laughs> Book of
0: Kells that build <laughs> uh, build water wells across me Sorry. and other rural parts of Ireland. <laughs> no, uh, they they go to this charity builds uh, wells in across Africa uh, and helps people drink uh, get access to drinking water. So. That's a nice tie up there, and then everybody laid off us after
1: that. But yeah, yeah. But now we well, and and that's that's a but that's the that's the crux of it, right? So this idea having a water tasting itself is wasn't the issue. It was that you were charging money for this thing. Yes, that's quote unquote just water. Yeah, right. That was that was the big thing, right? Okay, yeah. so, yeah, I'm going to... Congratula- congratulations on that. Do you have, any, do you have a speech? Um, yeah, because oh. uh, yeah, I should have a, a speech. Maybe I'll
0: put upload a separate podcast for my acceptance speech for my Tampi. That's what we're going to call these awards, <laughs> the Tampis.
1: Okay, the tampies. I okay. like it.
0: The next thing I want to talk about is pretty close to the bone because it's um, talk events. So, like, obviously, Tamper Tantrum is the preeminent talking event. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. So we've run Paris and all that kind of stuff. But now you've got Rico, you've got Reverb, you've got Symposium... You've got Proof Rocker doing them. You've got Toby's Estater doing them. You've got the Barn Berlin doing them. You, I, I it's it's become. The Barista know, Guild of America just no, announced
1: a new series called Bloom. Yeah, yeah. There's no shortage of, of That's basically like for, a Barista Guild of America uh, symposium. Uh,
0: yeah, I enjoy them. I've done a lot of them. Like I, I like to think of myself as like the that voice for the white, middle-class, entrepreneurial male that needs to be heard, you know? Right. um, And a lot of those those events are kind of centred around those sort of people. But it's it's a thing in tech. It's a huge thing in tech. There's so many events, like spoken word events. And it's completely taken over in 2015. There's so many of them now. But you went to New Zealand. What was your experience in New Zealand?
1: It was... What was my experience in new zealand new zealand everyone was very nice very kind um the crowd was very stoic and not very responsive they didn't a- ask many questions they didn't was it an laugh or yes okay this is really weird because um,
0: i did like six events recently across new zealand and australia and the one mm-hmm. place where i did i got very little reaction was Auckland actually and not in a bad and way they were just a quiet crowd they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. They left. But there was no laughing or giggling or questions or anything. Well,
1: this was also Rico Symposium, which is not an inexpensive proposition. Yeah. And I think that makes a difference, too. Yeah. But, um, I People mean... you are afraid to get drunk at it. Right. Is it, na- <laughs> is it naive to say that this all sort of came from Ted? I mean, obviously, Ted did not invent the idea of giving a talk on stage. But it, it definitely, definitely caught...
0: yeah, It invented the concept of you presenting a, a thought that you have as absolute fact, and being um, unopposed in that. It's not a debate. It's here is the truth, and now I'm walking off the stage. You know, so
1: it's funny. It's like you know, I. It's like a secular, non-religious sermon. Very often, <laughs> right? They're, it's it, in many ways. I feel like the TED talks. It really scratches the itch that people have to sit and be told something some truth and wisdom yeah and insight which really is the kind of thing i don't go i haven't gone to church in oof, eight years now but you know it, that was that i enjoyed about going to church and hearing sermons i only really liked them when they were insightful and a certain type of intelligent i have i have a
0: theory with this though and like we, we very clearly started tamper tantrum on the foot of ted because ted has just exploded like, we should do this for coffee it'd be amazing. Actually, mid-podcast, I think, we came up with the idea. But anyway, yeah. there's something really reassuring, okay, like, uh, on a very human level, there's something very reassuring about uh, believing that there's an easy answer. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, if somebody gets up and they say, okay, this is the state of the healthcare system, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, and if we do it this way, using this very simple structure... And here is a very vague reference that is proof that it would work. Then everything will be good. Thank you. Goodbye. And it's right. And it, that makes us all feel better. Like we like to believe that like the world is not chaotic. That there is an easy answer there that will solve all of the problems.
1: And, and it's it, even better if it's less than one hundred forty characters.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a huge part to do with it. Like it feels nice when somebody presents an answer. Uh, that's just a mirror reflection of a problem that they've presented when in reality both the problem and the answer are a lot more complex
1: Um, I think that it's trend in the coffee industry which is obviously what we're talking about here it is a certain I want want to say troubling let's just fall back to concerning because um, that's really it's own it's it's own sort of Economics, the economics of ideas, within the industry itself, and so, you know, I remember, I, I this might, I could be wrong about this, but but it's a it's more of like a gut feeling thing. Like three, four, or five years ago, when SEA symposium started, which was I guess oh eight, oh eight, oh nine around that time, um, and. Th- I think, you know, within coffee, those SCA Symposium talks were really sort of the, where um, they started getting really more popular. That and like Nordic Barista Cup, those talks, right? Um, The the part that's concerning is how many people out there are A, good at speaking in that format, and B, like really have something meaningful to say. Hmm. The more talks I see, the more I watch, I just feel like I wasted my time. And there have definitely been talks where I'm blown away and I just feel like, wow, you know, I I feel like a broken record here or like I'm trying to promote some certain people. But like Rick Reinhardt, every time he speaks, I just like, it's always... It, I, you feel it there's something that impacts you in a way that kind of like but that's something different to a, a barista
0: competition like it's it's there like fair enough yeah sure like it's not about the only person that thinks it's about the best barista is the person who won the competition <laughs> like you know what i mean it's it's not that it's and there are some people that are just actually there's a very good example there's a writer who i've been reading a lot about Reading a lot of her books recently, called Sarah Sarasvati, and she puts forward this proposition that you can learn to be an entrepreneur. That there's very learned processes that you can put in place, and that there there are things that entrepreneurs do. And if you do these things, then you are one and you will you will get the results of an entrepreneur. And it's really interesting stuff. And before people would say that you had the gift of being an entrepreneur, not the it's not something you could learn. You know, so she's just putting this basically brand new theory forward, and it's really interesting stuff. And and I think uh, really clever. And she did a TED talk, and it's fucking shit. Hmm. Like it's awful, right? And it makes me sad because, like, her writing is incredible, and her the theories that she puts forward is just some of the most interesting stuff I've ever read. And she just can't get up on a stage and present it in that way, you know. I
1: uh, the talk I gave in New Zealand, I think I mean I think it was a pretty good talk. But that said. Um as much as people hear my voice in different ways, I actually don't give talks like that very often in that particular format. I read it from my laptop screen. I I I was not prepared to sort of memorize it or kind of do the bullet points and then talk on each thing mainly because for me, it it was really kind of my like I, I when I write, I like to try to fit a lot of information in a small amount of space through the through the writing process. Yeah. And um, I can't do that off the top of my head very well. It's harder. I would have to memorize it and practice it, and I didn't have the time or opportunity to do that. Um, I hope they put it on but, the
0: line. Be good to see.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, because of what I just said, I actually have the script. So theoretically, I could edit it a little bit for He's reading it instead it of he, book listening. Book. Yeah, I could, I could do that. But well, you've just,
0: Nick, you've just won the 2015 champion. <laughs> <laughs> For, for spoken word event talk thing of the year,
1: that no one's heard except for the people who were who are there. But,
0: Great. Well, I've I've no evidence to
1: prove otherwise. <laughs> so, <laughs> congratulations, Nick. Thoroughly really deserved. <laughs> thank you. Um, I I do think that this, the the I don't know what to call it, but like the the talk thing, the talking from a stage thing. Um, it is one of those places that. One of the things that makes it concerning uh, – the things that I mentioned before, um, I, I've the, the more – again, the more – I'll say it again. The more I, I watch lately, the more I watch something and I just think, like, I, I don't understand. That's something that could have been said in two minutes. There's not much there. You know, give me more. Um, there's something that goes hand-in-hand with the whole talks thing. That is a touchy subject, obviously, but there's the whole gender issue, yeah, and to some degree cultural issue too though that's a little bit less for me urgent at least and than, than uh than the than the gender issue, which is um generally speaking, and I think that you would probably agree having never talked to you about this when you're planning a event with a series of talks and you go to find women to give the talks it you find it. You find yourself more women pr- proportionally saying no to you than men.
0: Yes, like yes, I would say. I don't know. Maybe it's how I. I don't know. the issue. This year, I think it's changed a bit. But like, okay, put it this way: of the people that have said no, I don't want to do a tantrum talk, I'd say ninety-five percent of those people were women.
1: Right. Which begs the question: question Why? And to me. The reason why is because it's really the fault of the idea of talks in the first place. You know, there's, it's, it's obviously something that does not require upper body strength, but there's, some, there's something, there's a correlation, let's just say to be fair, like an objective, like there's a correlation that we're seeing between, you know, these talks and men agreeing to do it and women saying No. To, to which, you know, for me, it's like if you, if it's important to anyone, and I hope it would be, but, you know, you have that option either way. If it's important to anyone to hear from more women, then the game has to be changed. The format has to be changed. It has to be reimagined in a way that is more gender equitable. Yeah. You know, it, it's it is like a... You know, if, 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 the, if the sport we were talking about, for instance, were lightsaber fighting, you know, I don't know why I'm using these, these analogies, but lightsaber fighting, and you found that there was a disproportionate amount of men, then it's not so much like, oh, well, let's get pink lightsabers or let's find lighter lightsabers because women's hands are smaller or whatever. Sometimes it's the, it's the fighting part in the first place that's the issue. And I've found that, for instance, for anyone listening to this who do plan talks, you know, for women, the same women who say no to to standing up and giving a speech, if you ask them, will you be on stage with two or three other women and be interviewed on stage with other people, they'll, like, almost 100% of the time will say yes.
0: Because it's interesting, I don't want to say who it is because she doesn't... Maybe she doesn't want this to be public knowledge, so I won't find it. Uh,
1: what, what a general <laughs>
2: <person>.
0: <laughs> wasn't it? So, uh, a woman who, uh, who I know, she's uh, a friend through the internet via coffee. Um, that's, was that's approached, so shady. Was approached, <laughs> was approached <laughs> at a show by somebody else while we were talking. and said, oh, would you come and speak at this Women in Coffee event? And she lost it. She was like these are fucking stupid. It's completely undermines the whole point of it. Like there's no way. And she's giving out that anytime she does go and do these things, it just turns into this women in coffee thing. And she's like, I'm sick of talking about this. Mm. Um. So I don't know, but I suppose what you're talking about is not actually proposing that as a topic. They could just get up and talk about Katura.
1: Yeah. I, I do think that it's, it's, um, it's a certain, what I know there's a word for it. They're t- token, tokenizing or ghettoification or whatever. But yeah, I, I'm Korean American. I, I'm I've never been asked to speak about being a what it's like to be Korean in coffee. Um, or I've never been asked to speak on what it's like to be a parent, a father in coffee. But when you constantly talk, bring up this subject of women and coffee as its own subject mm-hmm. rather than actually, like... And what very often happens is... is And we have some experts here because they're women. <laughs> they're experts you know, at being it, women. They're experts at being women, but they're not necessarily experts at the, at the issues at hand. You know, I... For my entire life, you know, I've been in coffee for 15 years. My entire life, I have had a spleen, you know, and if you want to give me, have me come up and give a talk about spleens and this, the, the anatomy of, and physiology of, of the endocrine system or whatever, like, that's absurd. But most yeah, most of the, to- the, the conversations and blog posts and such that you see online regarding this women in coffee issue... Really, like, again, it's like you could say in two sentences the thing that's actually relevant and the rest of it is just, it's not very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But,
1: But, yeah. I feel like we Um, need to
0: give it an award now.
1: The 2015 Woman in Coffee Award goes to... whoever that the unnamed woman that you've mentioned before okay
0: congratulations to her
1: yes
0: (laughs) i think everyone can agree it's well deserved Uh, definitely, definitely for excellence in her field of being a woman okay um definitely i want to move on then finally because this podcast always gets back to talking about this um and as much don't as say, don't as, say competitions. Yeah, I like, have to talk about WBC. Have to. Okay. Have to talk about WBC.
2: Alright.
0: And it's just that little fanboy in me that needs to talk about WBC. We don't talk about it for a long time or, or i, don't, I don't, like where is twenty fifteen WBC? Where is it in the in in the whole stretch of WBC? Like is it like do you feel like I talk to people that say oh it's getting better every year. I talk to people that say it's a falling star that like it's it's dying away like where
1: is wbc in 2015 you're asking me yeah i i think that it's i think that it's outrunning its usefulness i think it was very useful at one point but now it's just about a sport Mm -hmm. you know it's just like there 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 are world cup football tournaments that happen and then there are you know, five-year-olds running around after a ball on a on a football pitch. I'm trying to use the international terms, not the American ones. Um, you know, at some point, it just becomes a sport. It's not really about this sort of pro- like progressing and development of a thing. Yeah, it's Can just people do it and then they get better at the game. Can
0: you agree that it was for at least a six or seven-year period like a focal point for specialty coffee? would, that, would you vaguely agree with that?
1: well it, it was it was an en- it was an engine. Yeah. It was like an economic engine within the greater industry. Yeah. It's something that um it's not you know people nowadays, like I saw something online, someone on Facebook talking about the word innovation in coffee and what it means it doesn't mean. You know, people are so into innovation now. back ten years ago, no one was talking about innovation. They were talking about solving problems. You know, the problem with all the innovations that are, are, are happening now is they don't really solve any problems.
0: Well, they just you, create you new may may dimensions. Not notice, but I'm currently studying a master's program in innovation.
1: Are you really? Yeah. And that's very innovative of you. Thank you. And the I, 2015 Innovator of Coffee Award. Oh, Nick, thanks. <laughs> we haven't announced you yet. Shit. I just jumped no. the completely. <laughs> I just did a Columbia on it. <laughs> is the is the guy sitting next to colin in class i hate declan to your right yeah anyway um but core to innovation is that
0: it's it's like we have this lecture and he's just like what is the problem right that's the first step what is the problem and like i don't want to say what it is but we myself and james were talking about a new innovation and he was just like this is fixing a problem that doesn't exist
1: right like and that's most of what happens in coffee right now. Mm-hmm. You know, fix it. It solves a problem that doesn't really exist.
0: Or you, or you. This is the other thing: is that you, you kind of reform the solution. Do you know what I mean? Like you, this is a solution to an existing problem. Okay, so. Let's solve it this way, and you're like, "Wait, like it's it's already being solved. It's being solved this way. But if we could solve it this way as well, it's like, why do we need two ways to solve the same problem? Like, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's you need to find out what the problem is and then and solve it.
1: Right. It's like you have a speedometer on your car that tells you how fast you're going. Someone could invent one that uses the GPS. I mean, they have that, right? They have GPS speedometers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but. You know, no one's replacing their speedometers in their cars with that because no one needs that. There it doesn't. It's nothing. There's nothing novel about that. In, that.
0: Well, I think, like uh, a good, a good, okay, a good uh, example of really great innovation. Okay, is that like you get to a point where everything is is working a certain way, and you want to do it better, faster, whatever. Okay, so the lift industry, or the uh, sorry, sorry, Nick, the elevator industry, uh, right. got to a stage where all elevators did the same thing okay there was probably four companies that were making elevators for everybody in the whole world right and they all so the only way they were thinking of like innovative ways and just like doing really low kind of low kind of value innovation in terms of like if you they're all pitching for the same uh, skyscrapers and they all want to be in there so then they come in and say well we have double decker lifts or we have lifts that uh, go faster or lifts that are wider or you know, and it, it's just it's just finding incremental ways to make it slightly or better. cheaper,
1: more efficient. Yeah, yeah. And
0: the point right. of difference between them all became like marginal, and it got to the stage it's where It's a commodity. Yeah, it, it got to the stage where all of the lift companies, um, again elevators, uh, were they were getting to the stage where they were they would say to these people building like very prestigious buildings that we will do this for cost price or for free, so that their their lifts would be the ones that were in that building, so they could then point to it in their brochures. You know what I mean? right so this one company went away um um uh otis right and what they did is they came up with this this computer screen okay and you walk into the lobby of the skyscraper and there's 12 12 lifts in that lobby okay and you press the button of the floor you're going to and what it does is there's an algorithm which figures out it, it's taking all these numbers in from people and it's figuring out the most efficient way to get everybody to their floor so right. if there was 12 people in my floor and I stopped at number, uh, floor 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, it would take forever. But if there was 12 people that were going to level 10, 11, and 14, they would all be sent to that lift and they would get there faster. I've been on one of those. Okay, yeah. It was at a shopping mall in Los Angeles. There you go. And that's innovation. Like, it's, it's, it's looking like looking. I hated problems. it. Ah. Uh, you just, I hated it. You didn't it. need to say.
1: It. I'm gonna get Jen to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it. Be- only because it's the only elevator I've ever been in that works that way, and so it's strange. I mean, this is a great analogy for coffee, right? So we we you you have to tell the floor, or tell the elevator what floor you want to get off on before you get on the f- elevator. But the problem, then you the get in the elevator, in and shopping. there's no.
0: So that's the thing is that this. No, I... You need to. It's only applicable to really really busy skyscrapers where everybody arrives in a one-hour window.
1: I mean, fair enough. I think that there's – there, is there value – but this is my point. Is there value there? Yes. It gets people to their their floors faster. Right. And you can explain that to people. I still wouldn't like it. You know know why? There's something – because an elevator is supposed to have buttons on the inside. And when you get on it, there are no buttons. I mean, it just – there's an unnerving feeling. Have you been on an elevator like that? (laughs) No. No, it's weird. It's just like everyone looks at each other like, what's going on? What if we – like what if you change your mind? You You can't change your mind. You literally can't change your mind if you get on. And it's one of those things where the elevator company might say, we've done the research and people change their mind 0.002% of the time. But there's that that silly human visceral instinct. Yeah, but like – but what about that 0.1% 0. <laughs> 0. Like that one time, you know. Well, you're not gonna die. You just have to get off in front of the the whatever restaurant instead of the whatever floor. Yeah. Um. But I didn't. I didn't like it. Yeah. So Jen, I mean, it's not Jen.
0: Jen, if you're listening, just the bit where I said, "What is the problem?" Like, just cut it there, and not all the elevator thing. Just <laughs> cut, cut that all out, like, because it don't look very smart. Yeah. But, um,
1: but it, this was this was in reference to WBC, so i mean i th- you know i think that uh what's his name sasha Sa- yeah how do you say this? He, he seems like a great guy i ha- i shook his hand a couple times that's about it haven't had a conversation with him seems like a great guy um the champions over the past few years like fantastic people um what, what's his name the japanese kid hideki uh hide, hide. he well, again fantastic kid just super energetic. I appreciate for, for a Japanese coffee professional, you know, very sort of like, you know, he's very English proficient, which is nice. Um, nice, you know, it's convenient, I should say. Uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's good. And he's also the only non-white champion ever. And that's, that's good to see. You know, it's, it's nice in that way. And it's nice to see new people crowned and such. But, you know, it's sort of... The chef world has the Bokus D'Or. You know you know that, about that competition?
0: Vaguely. I always yeah. I always talk about Michelin stars. Like there's like six, maybe seven Michelin stars in Dublin. Like my four favorite restaurants, and none of them have stars.
1: None of them do? No.
0: Because they don't yeah, they don't qualify because they don't their pricing doesn't fit within the They're starting to or...
1: change that. I think they're starting to change. Here in San Francisco there are a few restaurants. One of my good friends just won a star. And her restaurant is a Thai restaurant. It's a certain type of Thai. It's not like you don't go there and get pod Thai and like pod CU and stuff. It's yeah. a certain type of uh, it's, it's fantastic food. Um, but it's definitely not what you would normally consider to be a Michelin star experience. But mm-hmm. they gave her a star. I think that they're realizing that they have to, you know, get out of their, uh, their pocket that they've been in and diversify a certain kind of way, which is great. Well, yeah, because
0: it, it was very valuable at the time, because when you went to a city, the guide would tell you where the good places are, whether they were big gourmands, whether they were stars, um, or they just got, like, a mention in there somewhere. And Sure. But now you have the internet.
1: Right. Well, you have Yelp and such. But, you know, the Bocus Dor is a chef competition. It's arguably the most prestigious, like, event, competition event for chefs, for cooks. In the world,
0: what's a bokus? Because I know door means of gold, it's,
1: you're right? Bokus is, is uh, it's the name of a, a chef, some guy, Paul Bocuse or something like that. I forget his first name, okay. Um, and that's that's the extent of what I know about it. And I've seen pictures of chefs with the tall cylindrical hats holding things up and like carrying them around in the competition. Like, I actually don't even know anything about the format or anything, I just know that it's okay. I think it's Paul Bocuse. No, I've seen but, this, yes, okay, yes. But that's the thing, like, we are, you know, people like you and me, we're knowledgeable a little bit more than the average person about food, and we don't know what the boca store is, we don't care. It's something that chefs, like, you'll see it on the blog, the food foodie blog, some mention of it. And among certain people, you know, it it appears to be a pretty, like, good-sized event as these things go, and... Nobody cares but they keep doing it but they, but they but they keep doing it and it's good for the people who do it, it you know and, and that's it you know there there's something about a dog show yeah. be, th- that that is more interesting to the general public than you know the thing that actually the, the thing that relates to the best of what we eat like what nourishes our bodies and what yeah. you know we enjoy in that sense but the dog, but you know that's that's television. That's a different whole different story. It's but saying
0: it's saying that like WBC is in Dublin in 2016, so I think right. it's going to be. I agree that in a very respectful way, nobody cares.
1: But <laughs> <Well, laughs> I can't believe you said that. Um, I mean, nobody's. I mean, nobody. I mean, nobody's a relative term. Yeah, like, I, I kind of care. You kind of care. Yeah, I do. It's a, yeah. We're just. It's just the problem. <laughs> We're yeah, nobody's. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going right. to cheer them all on. Um, right. Right. Yeah, it's. Um, That'd be amazing. But so, there was a time when the WBC was really about like Who was our leader? it was. It, I mean, it's kind of like the idea of uh, the analogy that comes to mind is it's it's like watching the Olympics when records are being broken, like you the records are being uh, like broken a, an year after year. Count
0: on this podcast. Like how many analogies i well, I'm did you I'm use? known as
1: the ki- the king of bad anal- <laughs> of crazy analogies. Usually they involve some type of like pornographic sort of like visual. I've noticed, but yes, but you know, th- during the first. Let's say eight years. I tend to think that 2008 was when uh, the, the momentum stalled and it was just like it, it was kind of plateaued, you, you know, which is Morrissey. obviously when you showed up. Yeah, up, up through Morrissey, there were things that were like, wow, like that's a game changer. That is like it, it felt like there was a collective improvement through the example of the WBC champion. Okay, and starting at
0: a- the same time, though, I, I think that comes from a pace because, and I do mean this, like, there is a whole thing about standing on the shoulders of giants, but, like, the old WBCs were fucking shit. Like, it was easy to... Oh, absolutely. It was, it was easy to double how good it was. You know what I mean, like, to say it'll be the, 100% the champions better were- next year, but, like, you can't the say that this year is 100% better than last year.
1: Right. The champions... Well, back then, the champions were winning with the percentage score. W- WBC champions were winning with a percentage score of, like, 60%. Huh. They were winning, like, 60%, 65% of the total possible points. Those were your WBC champions. Yeah. All the way through, again, through Morrissey. Yeah. And, you know, in 09, when you showed up, and, and since then, you know, again, people at the pinnacle of the game. But that said, it's it's... There was a problem to solve before. Yeah. And that problem's pretty much... It's it's solved. Like, the elevators do what they need to do now. Yeah. Okay. And so, now now it's about (laughs) uncomfortable moments. Like, buttons on the inside of the thing. Or, (laughs) you know... Or, like, EK43s on stage. Like, pre-grinding the coffee. Like, just awkward moments. So, in
0: conclusion, the 2015 WBC champion is... I'm sorry, Sasha, that we're awarding it to somebody
1: else. Yeah, we're taking it away. It's like Sasha is Miss Columbia. (laughs) 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 And um, 2015, you know who I'm going to say? Goes to a young woman by the name of Bethany Hargrove. Okay, I follow her on Twitter. Yes, Bethany is a barista in Portland, and she's competing at a regional... Uh, this year and um, she's the kind of person you look at and you just say like she has everything you want in like a barista she she has a sense of humor and she's witty and she's smart and she knows her coffee and she's got skills and all that sort of stuff and so for me yeah the the best thing that could happen at WBC would be to recalibrate everything in a certain kind of way Um, and so I'm uh, I'm creating this uh, lightsaber-touching dream-induced fantasy world of Bethany Hargrove is the WBC champion 2015.
0: Awesome. Yes. <laughs> I did not plan on doing that, but fuck it, it happened. <laughs> Do you have any other random, because I think we better wrap this up quickly. Um, sure. But I feel like we should. if you have any other random awards that you want to throw out there.
1: I mean, it's 2015. What else happened this year? I
0: don't know. Maybe like the James Hoffman of the Year Award. Who would you like to give that to?
1: The James Hoffman of the Year Award. Like your nominees
0: are... I think Matt Perger's doing a great job of being James Hoffman. I think he's really... He's doing a really good job. Um, I think you can't look past Kyle Glanville. I think he's definitely up there. But you know, my gut instinct, who I think is actually probably the best James Hoffman out there at the moment. Um, Someone who is kind of never really... doesn't get the credit that they deserve for this I I
1: have my vote and I think I'm going to win over your pick go ahead
0: uh, well someone who I don't ever think is like spoken of in these in these ways and doesn't get the credit they deserve is a guy called James Hoffman uh, who works out of London and I think I
1: think he could how many ends? at the end no one cares oh
0: (laughs) maybe three six (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah so uh, he's going to get my vote for James Hoffman of the year
1: my James Hoffman award of the year Goes to someone who changed jobs this year looking at. Donald uh, Trump. At creating, uh, at helping to develop sort of new media opportunities and, and such. Coffee. My, James, my 2015 pick for the best James Hoffman of 2015 is Jen Ruggolo. Oh,
0: well said. Excellent. I'm a,
1: I like that. I'm, yes. Okay, right. Nice. Do you know, Jen Ruggiero is somebody who is uh, quietly admired by a great number of people. I think a lot. Yeah, like I
0: think quite quite vocally admired from uh, from our perspective. But
1: I I have I have um, I, I will share that I have given, and I'm sure that everyone's experienced something like this. I have found my face making judging scowling faces <laughs> at many young men who expressed to me their crush on Jen Rugolo from afar as if they're the only ones who realize her greatness and <laughs> awe and beauty and power and genius. <laughs> and I look at them because, with a scowl, not because they're wrong, but because I was in love with Jen Rugolo first. <laughs> <laughs> I think they... I'm, I'm, I'm actually not kidding. It, Jen Jen's like whatever. Like this is absolutely true story. This I have no has happened this. many many times. I have absolutely no doubt. Jen's one of those people who is just a, an amazing and has a lot of energy. This like this this halo of energy that just makes people just obsessed with her. But the thing that goes along hand in hand with that obsession is it also casts a spell on you, makes you think you're the only one who noticed. <laughs>
0: And, and, and an incredible James Hoffman on top of all of that.
1: Yes. She, she has nicer hair. <laughs> no,
0: uh, James' hair is getting pretty. James'
1: hair is yeah. James' hair actually looks fantastic. I was he was yeah. That's 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 for sure. Good hair. But yeah. Okay.
0: Right. I think um, unless you got uh, any the other ridiculous awards that you want to throw out there, I think that's an excellent place to leave it. Um, thank you again for talking. I'm going to have you on again soon.
1: I really wanted to start. Start out this, uh, this podcast pretending I was Steve Layton, but I haven't been around him enough to be able to do, you could a do Steve an Irish impression, accent, though, a p- impression yet. You could do an do impression with, of Steve Morrison. With, with Steve, it's a little like there's a growliness. I can't do it. I can't yeah, do it yet. I've tried as well. I, 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 I could. Know, I could no, no, no I, I have a knack. If, I'm, if I was with him a lot, you know, for a certain period of time, it would just naturally just emerge you know, but not yet. I'll work on it though. Two, and come back and maybe next year you could be the Steve Layton of 2016. Oh, if only. I'll start training now. I was going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start bleeding on all my clothes. <laughs> Turn everything red. That was
0: Tamper for Tantum, the 44th and um, yeah, we will see you in the new year actually, the last podcast of the year so thank you for joining us. Happy holidays,
1: happy, happy new year.
0: Happy all of that stuff. And uh, we'll see you on the far side.
1: Happy New Year, Book of Kells.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.